Hello and welcome to A History of Hannibal, episode 53, The Man Who Saved Spain. The two Scipio brothers continued their war in Spain, just as Rome continued its war in Italy. Only, as you'll know from last week, they were having a bit more luck. As we enter 213, this luck continued. Things were going so well in Spain, with more Carthaginian allies joining them, that they decided to begin thinking about Africa. Not about invading Africa, they were not ready for that yet, but getting friends there. If you think back to the episodes between the Punic Wars, you'll remember that Africa was not united under Carthage. Many Africans wanted to throw off the Carthaginian yoke. It was just a case of tapping into this discontent and finding the right friends. With this in mind, let's get a bit into African politics. Carthage was on the north-eastern tip of modern Tunisia, near the modern city of Tunis. They controlled the area which comprises of modern Tunisia quite tightly, with the important settlements being near the coast. As you move west into modern Algeria, you would find the lands known as Numidia. We've mentioned Numidia plenty of times, particularly their cavalry, but it was not a unified state and should not be thought of in the same terms as Rome and Carthage, but more in terms of the Spanish and Gallic tribes. There were two main groups of Numidians, the Eastern Numidians, the Massilii, and the Western Numidians, the Mycelians. To prevent confusion, I'll call them Eastern Numidians and Western Numidians, simply as this is easier to remember than their technical names, and easier for me to pronounce. In terms of the area, the Western Numidians controlled about three times the amount of land, as did the Eastern Numidians, and they were the more dominant group. They were led by their king, Syphax. This was whom the Scipio brothers were targeting. They sent a group of three centurions over to Syphax to offer Roman friendship. They asked him to cause as much trouble for Carthage as he could, and in return, they would help him out with interest. A Lannister always pays his debts. Sorry, Romans. A Roman always pays his debts. Syphax eagerly agreed to the terms. After speaking with the Centurions, he quickly realised how much he had to learn about warfare. The Numidians were excellent cavalry fighters, but inexperienced with infantry tactics and the discipline and military thought which so characterised Roman warfare. He asked if one of the Centurions could stay behind to teach him. They agreed, so long as he would agree to return the man should their superiors not approve. This was agreed, and Quintus Statorius stayed behind. He trained up a Numidian infantry based on the Roman model, while over in Spain, the two centurions returned with three Numidian envoys to confirm the deal. The envoys tried to persuade any Numidians serving in the Carthaginian army to desert. This worked quite well, and ever-increasing numbers of Numidians deserted the Carthaginians. Soon the Carthaginians were aware 
of the friendship between Syphax and Rome. They decided to warn the eastern Numidians of this, led by their king, Gala. I would be quite surprised if you, dear listener, had ever heard of Syphax, and even more surprised if you had ever heard of Gala. Though I suspect some of you will know the name of Gala's 27-year-old son, Massinissa. Given that Syphax had agreed to deal with the Romans, the Carthaginians said that, surely, the logical action would be for Gala to side with the Carthaginians. Otherwise, they would just be overwhelmed. Gala was convinced, and sent his son to command a force with Carthaginian reinforcements against Syphax. Massinissa and Syphax fought a great battle. I have no idea of figures for the size of armies, but Livy says that 30,000 died. The size of the battle may be murky, but the result was not. It was a decisive victory for Massinissa. Syphax was crushed. He fled west, into the lands beyond his Numidians, into a third group, the Mauritanian Numidians, who lived in the land of modern-day Morocco. Among these Mauritanians, Syphax gathered a huge army, intending to bring it to Spain, but he was cut off by Massinissa, who again defeated him. This covers events in Africa for the year, which had much to do with what was going on in Spain. In Spain, things were much less interesting, with very little of note occurring. The Celtiberians turned over to Rome, while 300 Spanish nobles travelled from Spain to Italy in order to try and persuade their countrymen, fighting with Hannibal, to desert. But, other than that, very little was going on. Having covered 213, we enter 212, a very important year in the war. The two Roman commanders decided for 212 to unite their forces. With very little having happened in Spain for a few years, they were beginning to change their focus. Originally, they had set out to stall Hasdrubal and keep him out of Italy. But now was the time to be more aggressive and win the war in Spain. They had received 20,000 Celtiberian mercenaries over the winter and were now strong enough to make the move. Hasdrubal Gisco and Margo Barca were sharing the command of one army about five days away from the Romans, while Hasdrubal Barca commanded another army a bit closer. So, just what would the Scipio brothers do? They first decided to take them out one at a time, to outnumber and then destroy Hasdrubal Barca, then move on and finish the other two. They planned to do this, but soon had second thoughts. Supposing they beat Hasdrubal Barca, just what would the other Carthaginian commanders do? They wouldn't be able to fight on their own and win, so their logical action would be to retreat into the hills and mountains and fight a prolonged guerrilla war. This was just what the Romans were trying to avoid. To prevent this, they decided to try and fight both forces at once. Dispersing your strength is not usually a good move, but if the gamble worked, they would be heroes, 
and they decided it was worth the risk. Publius would take two-thirds of the original force of Romans and allies to fight Margo and Hasdrubal Gisco, while Gnaeus would take one-third, as well as the Celtiberians, to fight Hasdrubal Barker. They set off together and headed to their respective destinations. Hasdrubal Barker found out soon enough that the Roman force he was facing was small, and thought his best chance of breaking it would be the Celtiberians. They were on Rome's side, but not from any deep sense of loyalty. They were being paid to fight for the Romans, and so they did. Hasdrubal offered them more to desert the Romans, and so they did. The Romans were thoroughly alarmed when the Celtiberians just decided to leave, and asked them what they were doing, begging them to stay. The Celtiberians responded that there was a war they needed to fight in their own territory. Gnaeus began to worry. Without the Celtiberians, he had no hope of defeating the Carthaginians, or reuniting with Publius. He began to withdraw as far as he could, with Hasdrubal Barker on the chase. Things were going badly for Gnaeus, but they were going badly for Polybius too. Polybius' problem was not troublesome mercenaries, but a man we'd already met, Massinissa. He had travelled to Spain, much as Syphax had been intending to do, and managed to find Publius's army. He continually harassed it, attacking foraging parties, galloping through the camp outposts, and generally being a huge pest. He was being trapped as the Carthaginians approached, and, in a rare act of desperation, Publius broke out of the camp at night with his force. A Spanish tribal force of 7,500 strong, led by Indibilis, was arriving to support the Carthaginians. If he arrived, they would be trapped, and it would be too late. To try and prevent this, he broke out to try and fight Indibilis, before he could unite with Margo and Hasdrubal Gisco. A group was left in the camp under the command of a lieutenant, while at midnight he launched a chase of Indibilis, trying to avoid being followed. He managed to give his pursuers the slip, and found the Spaniards. The Romans were very proud of their organisation and discipline, but this was a battle when all that went out the window. Both armies met without having time to deploy, and basically, broke out of marching columns to fight. The Romans were doing well, but then disaster struck. They had not given their other foes the slip. Massinissa arrived on the scene, and the Numidian cavalry simultaneously slammed into both flanks, and Publius found himself surrounded on three sides. Things were not going well. Then, things got even worse. The Carthaginian army emerged from behind and hit the back of their force. Publius Cornelius Scipio was doomed. He fought valiantly as the end grew near, but the combined Spanish, Carthaginian, Numidian force targeted him and focused their efforts on breaking through to him. When he was killed, 
the Roman force completely broke apart. A few managed to escape into the darkness, but the Roman army was effectively destroyed, and the Carthaginians raced to join Hasdrubal Barca in taking down the remaining Roman force, under the command of Gnaeus Cornelius Scipio. There was a fantastic energy in the Carthaginian camp once the two forces united, each congratulating the other, while in the Roman camp, where there was no news of what had happened to Publius, there was only a miserable gloom hanging over their heads, a sense that they were just waiting for their own destruction. Gnaeus decided it was likely that there had been some disaster in addition to their own, how else were they to explain how Margo and Hasdrubal Gisco had caught up so fast? He tried to withdraw again, and was well out of there before the Carthaginians were aware. But they chased him at breakneck speed, and the Numidians were harassing him. Scipio tried to get his men to run and fight, trying to prevent themselves from being surrounded, but it was slow progress, and night was coming so he camped on a hill. The Numidians were easy enough to beat off, but once the full Carthaginian armies had arrived with all three commanders, the situation was looking hopeless. He was in an indefensible position. There were no trees, so they couldn't construct a defence such as stakes, while the soil was too stony for them to dig a trench, while the ground was not steep enough to be useful in defence, only being a gradual slope. They piled their pack saddles into a circle to try and create a rampart. The Carthaginians were rather bemused at this attempt by the Romans to defend themselves, and were frustrated when this proved somewhat effective. It took time to hack their way through, and to make way for the soldiers. But once they did, it was another crushing victory for the Carthaginians. Gnaeus was killed, while a body of Roman troops was able to escape. It was either 212 or 211, the dates were a bit confused, and both Scipio brothers were dead. It was a complete disaster for Rome. Spain was lost. Or was it? We have, entering here into the story, Lucius Marcius, an equite who had served under Gnaeus. Marcius managed to gather together the fugitives from the disasters and put an army back together. Not a large one, or a powerful one, but it was an army. They moved back to the north of the Ebro and fortified their position. The troops offered the command unanimously to Marcius, once they were back in safety, and he used what time he had to further entrench themselves, when shortly afterwards, Hasdrubal Gisco crossed the Ebro. When news of this came, they panicked. Their courage left them, and they remembered Publius and Gnaeus, wishing they were still there. Marcius chastised them for such cowardice. This would not help at all. If they missed their dead commanders, they should do their best to avenge them. At this moment, the enemy appeared, and Roman grief turned into Roman rage. The Carthaginians were overconfident, 
expecting to find either nothing, or, at most, a distressed army. Not an army launching an assault. Where did this army come from? Who was commanding them? The Carthaginians were baffled. The Romans won the battle quite quickly, routing the Carthaginians, though they did not give chase. They had won, but were still in a weak position. Marcius realised this, and did not want to push his luck. So, the Carthaginian force was allowed to regroup. Marcius next hatched upon a bold plan. It had come to his attention that only Hasdrubal Gisco was there, and he thought in terms of long-term strategy. Eventually, Hasdrubal and Margot Barker would join him, and this would be a very hard position to fight against. To prevent this, his best shot was to launch an assault against Gisco before the others joined him. He rallied his troops, who were emboldened by the audacity of the plan. As they marched early in the day, they hid some cavalry and a cohort in the woods between the Carthaginian camp they were attacking and another Carthaginian force. Then, they simply walked into the Carthaginian camp, which was practically undefended. There were no outposts, and no sentries. The Carthaginians were plainly not expecting a Roman attack. Underestimating your enemy is always a dangerous mistake to make. The Romans were able to march into the camp, sound their trumpets, and slit the throats of the Carthaginians as they woke up. Those that escaped made for the other Carthaginian camp, but were intercepted by those troops stationed in the woods. This is how the first camp was captured. They then moved on to the second camp, which was even more inadequately defended than the first, being further from the enemy, and, as some Carthaginians were out collecting materials, was lacking potentially armed troops. They quickly made it to the camp, where there was a fierce battle, one which eventually the Romans won. Both camps were taken, this is the story Livy offers, though there are many different variations. If you're curious, you can find them in Livy, Book 25, Chapter 39. The deaths of Publius and Gnaeus are famous, and usually feature in the standard narratives of the war. Their deaths, indeed, were to be the main focus in this episode. The story goes that they lost... The Carthaginians took Spain, which they dominated until Scipio Africanus arrived a few years later. The story of Lucius Marcius is one I wasn't even aware of before I wrote this episode, yet I found it incredibly interesting. He doesn't receive as much attention as some of Rome's other heroes, but he managed to keep the Romans in Spain, and further delayed Hasdrubal's march into Italy. As one of Rome's unsung heroes, I figure he should at least get the title of this episode. Lucius Marcius was the man who saved Spain. If you've enjoyed today's episode, you can visit us online, thehistoryofpodcast.com, facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast, twitter.com forward slash thehistoryofpod, youtube.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast, and thehistoryofpodcast.com. 
at gmail.com. Should you wish to support the show financially, there is now a new way of doing so. After several requests, I've added a PayPal donation button to the website. So, should you want to do so, you can click Donate and send a few spare pounds or dollars my way. This is in addition to a complete redesign of the website. It is now much easier to read and vastly improved. So, I would highly recommend giving it a look. I've also added a newish feature too called Game Time Provisionally, in which I'm seeking to explain how football works to those of my listeners who perhaps don't watch it but want to know so they can get into the uh, Fantasy Football League or perhaps follow the Premier League as the season has just started. I'd recommend giving it a read. The first one I've did tries to explain the competitions in English football, and next time I do this I'm probably going to try and explain how a match works. As I get further on I want to go into some more analysts, match predictions, players who are doing well, players who aren't doing well, and my opinions on Manchester City. Why wouldn't you want to read it? Thehistoryofpodcast.com, should you wish to. There will not be an episode of Hannibal next Sunday. I have enjoyed my summer of podcasting, but it is at its end. I need to once again begin thinking about university, which is going to result in a mix-up in the podcast schedule. Alexander remastered episodes have already been written, so are easy enough to do, but I won't have enough time to continue this show and the Arab Spring history as I have been doing. Therefore, I'm going to move Alexander Remastered to Wednesday and keep it weekly, while Hannibal episodes and Arab Spring episodes will alternate every Sunday. This Sunday it is Hannibal, next Sunday will be Arab Spring, the Sunday after will be Hannibal, etc, etc. I want to keep the shows weekly, but I simply won't have the time, and like both of them too much to prioritise one over the other my apologies. So, I shall see you in two weeks, when we leave Spain behind, and go once again to cover events in Sicily. <laughs>